Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, I'm, ex- I'm excited this morning about being able to share God's Word with you because this is such an important section that we're going to touch, particularly a few verses. So let's pray. Let's pray that we will open our hearts to receive what the Spirit is saying to you, the church, this morning. Amen? Father God, we pray that our hearts would be open. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus and what he is saying and what he wants us to do. God, let my words go forth as your words, Lord. And I give you all glory. I give you all praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of John. So if I know you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. Or open your Bible if it's uh, an electronic one. John chapter 14. And this is one long discourse that Jesus brings to his disciples. It actually goes from chapter 14 right through to 16. And it's known as the farewell discourse. In the Gospels, there's five basic discourses. Just to give you an example, Matthew chapter 5 through to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And that is one long discourse that Jesus speaks about. So Jesus is talking to his disciples because he's told them that he's going away. And remember last week we spoke about that he said, I'm one and I'm in the Father and we're one. So it's just, there's this unity. But he says, don't worry, I am going to prepare a place for you. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you go, I just don't don't understand what that means? Could I know I have. Have you ever read something and you go, man, that's right out there. And then have you read something and you go, I know exactly what that means, only to find out it's not exactly what it means. It's something just so off. And you go, my goodness, I've been believing the wrong thing for such a long time. These next two verses, that, uh, sorry, three verses that we're going to read, I believe, are the misquoted and misinterpreted portion. It's a portion of Scripture that, that people kind of like just don't understand. And we quote it out of context. We make a pretext and we hang our whole life onto this stuff. Because I believe that God's Word is true and it will never fail. But if you're not believing what is truth, then you will totally misunderstand what is saying. And so Jesus is saying to these guys who are worried about him leaving, and he says, don't worry, I have to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you can trust me. I hope I didn't burst your bubble last week when I told you that you're not actually going to get a mansion with a long driveway with statues with your face on them as you go to that big mansion, it's actually an apartment, it's a a place, and it's not about what you get, it's about who is there. And Jesus says, I go to a place to prepare a place for you so that I may be with you and you may be with me. And so I've just reconciled because I don't want to ever live in an apartment, but I've just reconciled the the point that 
That's what I'm going to get when I get to heaven and so I just have to be happy about that. So please be happy about that because Jesus is going to be there and that's what makes us happy. That's what gives us joy. So these verses that we're going to look at and as soon as I read them, as soon as I begin them and as we're flowing through them, you you may even have a thought or a conviction about these scriptures and I want you to just allow the scripture to unfold. Allow the Holy Spirit to touch things in your life concerning these verses. So we're reading from John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. In your King James Version, it might say, verily, verily, or truly, truly. So that's really important. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Who knows this scripture? Who's relied on this scripture? My message is basically works and prayer. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, Jesus says, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I want you to note here the first thing is believe in me, believe in Jesus remembering, and I will just ram this down your blessed heart, that the key verse that John tells us is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And Jesus says right here in this this kind of like this next section that he talks about, that believing in me, if you believe in me, believe in me means this, to be persuaded, to place confidence, to trust, to rely on. When we believe in Jesus, all of what we can conjure up in our our minds, in our hearts, in our physical strength, is to believe in him, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in this portion of Scripture, he gives us two promises, two great, incredible promises. The first one is the ability to do works. Who would like to do the works of Jesus? Who wouldn't want to do the works of Jesus? He talks to us and he says, you can do the same works that I have done, in fact, even greater works. What an incredible promise. But not only that, Jesus tells us this, that he gives us the ability to have answer to prayer. Just like we prayed this morning, He promises us works, greater works, and answers to prayer. I think that's really interesting that we can kind of like focus on those two things. The ability for works and answers to prayer. Now, that word works there in the Greek is erga. And erga means activity, deed 
occupation. You may even, that's where we kind of like get our word, uh, energy from. That's the root word. So it's the capacity, the ability to do those very things. It means activity, deed, occupation. You may have, may have heard of a company called Ergon Energy. That's the original word that Ergon comes from. It's a derivative. But Erga means activity. It means occupation. So Jesus says that you can do the same works as Him, that you can have the same activity as Him. You can do the same occupation as Him. That is what Jesus is talking about. Activity, deed, occupation. So what are the same works that Jesus did? What do we read in our Bible that Jesus did? Well, if you read the Gospels, and I know you do, you'll see there will be what? Healing. Healing is evident in the life of Jesus. Delivering those who have been demonized. We see that in the Gospels. Miracles, like feeding the multitude. Control over nature. Jesus walked on water, calming the storm. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. But we've also got to include in his activity, his deed, his occupation, in everything that Jesus did, we have to add teaching to that. We have to add caring to that. We have to add serving to that. So Jesus says, you can do the same activities, deed, occupation that I have done, which includes all of those things. But remembering that Jesus said this, I only spoke what the Father spoke to me and I only did what the Father did. That was his job. That was his occupation. So we are to have the same activity, deed and occupation that Jesus had and which he continues to do through you. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and said what the Father said. If we narrow the works of Jesus to the miraculous, we reduce the works of God down. Jesus did it all and he says, you can do it all. Same works is not limited to miracle, but everything that Jesus did in totality. I like the dramatic. I like the big things that happen. But if I just narrow my expression of my faith, then without signs and wonder, wonders and there's no teachings, there's confusion. Or if there is no service, then I take myself out of the life of what Jesus wants us to do. But Jesus just didn't say works, erga. He says greater works. Greater works. Ever since I've been in church for the last 40 years, I've heard different examples and ideas of greater works. Even greater works, I have found, have been defined either quality or quantity. Greater works. The greatest miracle, if we think of even greater works, in the greatest sense, the greatest work that I have ever known of that Jesus did was raising the dead. Would you agree with that? But, oh, hang on. 
But what about now and a person becoming born again? Isn't that a great work? Can we categorise raising the dead and being born again as a great work? Well, what about healing? Isn't that a great work? Or someone getting a revelation when they're hearing the word, isn't that a great work? You see, what we try to do is define greatness by our own understanding and our own experience. What about someone who is totally lost and they're found? Isn't that a great thing when God directs us into that past? The greatest miracle is the miracle that you need at the moment when you need it. That's the great. I think they're all great. Greater works. I don't think you can differentiate healing and supply. Someone being released from the devil or someone getting revelation. You, I don't think you can kind of like differentiate them. It's like people. Who is the greatest here? The one that has the most money? The one who's the most talented? The smartest? The best looking one? The one who serves the most? Who's the greatest? So if we, if we reduce our knowledge of God to a, a one thing, then we're losing out on everything. If you have either and or, you either have either or or. It's all. You know, God sees you and he says, you're great. You're great. Did God know you before you were born? Yes. Did he fashion you in your mother's womb? Yes. That makes you great. God does not differentiate between us of, its, of our greatness, nor does he between his miracles. What is great is what is needed at that moment. It's not quality of greatness, it's quantity of greatness. We said, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. Haven't you read in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 15, when Peter, when he walked past people and his shadow fell on people, they got healed. Isn't that greater? Oh, and what about in Acts 19 verse 12, when Paul prayed over handkerchiefs and aprons and people took them away and people got healed. Isn't that greater? I can't even know of Jesus ever doing that before in the scripture, isn't that greater? Folks, it's no greater. What is the great thing is the outcome, not the method. If we focus on method, we're going to miss out on the manifestation. There's no difference, it's just the way that it happens. You see, what we do, we focus and we can focus on the method in which Jesus heals someone rather than the healing of that person. And I tell you why that happens, because this is how it happens. You'll say to someone, oh, tell us your testimony of healing. And you go, yes, God miraculously healed me. I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair and I got out of the wheelchair and I walked. How did that happen? Well, the, the person that was praying for me, they said, wiggle your toes. So I wiggled my toes. And as soon as I wiggled my toes, I stood up. And I was healed. And so people hear that the way to get healed is what? Wiggling their toes. 
Who needs healing this morning? Who's wiggling their toes this morning? Come on, talk to me. Did anyone wiggle their toes? Yes. It's not about the method. It's about the manifestation. It's about the person who brings the manifestation. Otherwise, we would be the first church of the toe wiggle. That would be our banner. And everyone that came in here, Pastor Ken, all they'd have to do is wiggle their toes and they would be healed. But it's got nothing to do with that. That's just the method. If Did you know that Smith Wigglesworth, sometimes he felt to heal someone, he would punch them in the stomach. And I don't mean... Pastor Ken, would you like to come up here and I'll demonstrate? No, no, sorry. Imagine going to church and, the, and Wigglesworth is preaching. He says, who would like to get healed? Come up, come up here right now. And you know you're going to get punched. Now, I don't know. Look, it's kind of like beyond me and I think it's beyond other people. But I think that that was a rhema, a specific word for a specific time, for a specific thing. And if we try and tie those things to everything, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss the point that we have to believe in Jesus to do works, greater works. It's about listening to Him. The focus was on the method, not the manifestation of the one, Jesus, who brought the manifestation. So let me just add to that the quantity versus the quality. If Listen to this scripture that Paul speaks of. If you think you can do greater works in quality than Jesus, just listen to this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. One of my favorite portions of Scripture because it talks about Jesus. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms on earth. He made things that we can see and things, folks, that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. That's Jesus. So if you were greater in capacity to do the quality that Jesus did, it only stands to reason that you would be greater than Jesus. Are you a created being? Yes. Which is greater, the creator or the creation? The creator. The chances are that you are greater than Jesus is not slim to none, it's none. (coughs) Remove that from your thinking if you can do something greater of quality than Christ. 
You know, there was a guy called, well, sorry, not a guy, there was an angel called Lucifer who wanted to exalt himself. There's probably a guy called Lucifer too, but there was an angel called Lucifer who wanted to exalt himself above God. And God said, oh no, you don't. To even put yourself equal with Christ is arrogance, folks. But to place yourself above him in your own mind is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Do you know what ludicrous means? Listen to this. So foolish, unreasonable, or out of place as to be amusing. In other words, it's laughable to think that we can do greater in quality than Jesus did. And besides, if we look at the scripture, Jesus said this, you are going to do works, greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with him. Him going to the Father. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear about how Jesus sends the Holy Spirit because he goes to the Father. So even when Jesus leaves and goes, he sends someone else what? To be a helper to be a comforter, someone who will come alongside and lead you and guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will only speak of what he hears from Jesus. And Jesus only does what the Father's doing. But even so, greater works than these shall you do. But in the next two scriptures are the misquoted, misunderstood, misinterpreted out of the whole Gospels. And dear friends, I believe that this is the number one issue that Christians have to lock down for themselves in regard to prayer. Listen to this. You can ask anything. Say anything. I mean, say it like you mean it. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You can ask for anything. And that is where the heresy starts. Right there with the anything. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, in 1227, separated the letters the books of our Bible into chapters and into verses. And he did that in order when you are in church. I mean, the first English Bible that it came out in was the Wycliffe Bible. And he would say to the congregation, turn to John chapter 14, verse whatever. And everyone would go, okay. But can you imagine if someone said, turn to the portion in the Scripture where Jesus is talking about the Father out of the book of John. Everyone would be going crazy. So it was only used for a reference point. And sometimes those breaks in Scripture don't give us the whole story. So that's why it's really important that we continue what is being said rather than tie it down. One of the the most tragic things that, that worries me or concerns me as a pastor 
When someone would ring me up and say, Pastor, I have a scripture for you. John 14, 14. So I go to my Bible and it says, Yes, ask anything for me in my name and I will do it. And I hang my whole life onto the scripture, to the text that's taken out of context and make a pretext about it. Anything, 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 anything. Yes, anything. And I focus on the anything rather than understand everything is being said. We've got to be smarter than that. So I hope this morning, when we read this, we read it in its entirety. Because you cannot separate the anything from his name. Look what the scripture says. If you ask for anything in my name, in his name. Have you ever put your name to a contract? Have you ever gone to the bank and asked for a loan? And you know what the bank does? They do, they do a credit check. They find out where you're working, how much you're earning, what your spending patterns are. They look at your capacity, your ability to what? To repay. And so when you sign on that, you are saying, I can do that. I can do that. When Jesus puts his name to something, he says, I will do that in his name. You cannot separate the anything from his name. The anything is an association or a connection with his name or his character, his, his nature. Because if we separate them, then we're in big trouble. In his name is not a formula for you to get what you want. I'll say that again. In his name is not a magical set of words for you to get what you want. In his name is this. It is aligning to what he wants because it's his name. If you do something in my name that's out of my nature and character, I tell you what, you're going to be in big trouble, folks. Oh, Pastor Jim said I could go down Oxley Road at 100 kilometers an hour. Oh, no. No, I didn't. No way. You do 59, and if you're top 60, that'll do. And when you go underneath that bridge where the railway line is, and they've put a 40, you take your foot off your accelerator because it's 40. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think I can do 60. You do whatever you want, but don't say I'm doing it in Pastor Jim's name. Because I will go, no chance. The test of any prayer is this. Oh, when God gave me this, this was so exciting. As my good friend, Pastor John Lewis would say, write this down on the back of the neck of the person in front of you. Okay, if you've got a pen, write this down. So you don't forget, on the back of the neck of the person in front of you, if they let you, all right? Listen to this. The test of any prayer is, can I pray it in the name of Jesus? Can I really pray it in the name of Jesus? 
No one could pray for personal revenge in the name of Jesus. No one. You're driving down Oxley Road and someone cuts you off or they do 60 through that 40 zone and you pray, God, get them good in Jesus' name. I pray there is a little man there with a light blue shirt on with a big cannon thing in his hand in Jesus' name. God will never do that for you. You might hope it, you might want it, but he won't do it for you. He will never do revenge for you in his name because that's outside the character and the nature of God. Personal ambition? No. God, I want Pastor Jim's job. Come and take it, please. (laughs) Remove him in Jesus' name. He will never do that. He doesn't do it for revenge. He doesn't do it for personal ambition. Boy, we've prayed incorrectly. Or he will never do it for some unworthy object. Father, I really do feel in the spirit. Have you noticed? When people say that in the spirit, they're kind of like moving. (laughs) That I need to have a Maserati. And I believe that Pastor Ken should buy it for me. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) How, as one preacher said, how dumb can you be and still breathe? Seriously, folks, in Jesus' name. You can't pray for personal ambition, selfish gain, revenge in his name. It's outside of his nature and his character. Listen. We could stop a whole lot of confusion in the church of Jesus Christ if we realize that the anything is tied to his name that's aligned with who he is that the Father wants done. Can I honestly make this prayer in line with the nature and the character of God? And here's the rest of the scripture. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that. Now, when there's a so that, that's really important what follows. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So it's not about you, it's about the Father. Jesus is bringing glory to the Father. Will your prayer bring glory to the Father? That's the question. Will the outcome of the answer prayed Bring praise to God because of his nature and character. And that's why Jesus says this. Yes. Yes. In line with bringing praise and glory to God, asking for anything in my name because you know what I want to do and I will do that. Yes. Ask me for anything in that context and I will do it. The emphasis is on his capability. Yes, I will do it in his name. No question, as long as it brings glory to the Father. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you understand how your prayer should be? What your prayer should be about? In line with the nature and the character of Jesus to bring glory to God. So here is the summary of verse 12 and 14. By believing in Jesus, you will do the same works 
even greater works in number. And when we pray for anything in his name, he will do it and it will bring glory to the Father. That's why they didn't have to worry. That's why there was peace. That's why we don't have to stress about stuff. That's why this morning when we prayed for those things, we know that it is in line with God's will. It's aligned to the anything. And so we need to pray in that manner because if we don't, it will only bring confusion. I think a lot of people pull the pin on Christianity because of sometimes the teaching they've received has just been so wacky and it doesn't make any sense. No sense at all. I can't just ask for anything. You see, when he said, you know, God didn't say he would answer all your prayers. He said he would answer according to his name. So we've got to get that out of our thinking. So when we're praying, when we come together to pray as a church, what does God want? He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to a saving knowledge of him. He wants you to prosper, 3 John 2, and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. He wants you to have good health. He wants you to be set free. He wants you to have everything that you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That's what he wants. And once we have those things, do we really need anything? No, because we have him and he is life in abundance. Everything else is just temporary and he is eternal. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.